Welcome back to the How Do You Health Podcast Vitamizers. I'm Allison here with MSW Lounge in Austin, Texas. And this episode gets into a lot of stuff that we have not talked about yet. I'm very excited for you to listen to it. But a list of our sponsors really fast. As always, we are brought to you by MSW Lounge. MSW Lounge is located in Westlake Hills in Austin, Texas. They provide a variety of services, including vitamin shots and IVs, the whole Slenderella family, concierge medicine, chiropractic, massage therapy, a vitamin drink bar, and tons of other local company offerings for ways to clean up your health and naturally stay that way for a long time. Find out more at www.mswlounge.com. Slenderella is a vitamin shot and IV blend that was designed to help your liver function optimally. It got its name when the creators started noticing that liver detox was causing many clients to lose weight. Now there is a whole line of different Slenderella blends that you can customize for your needs, as well as a supplement line to support all of your Slenderella goals. You can find distributors and more information at www.slenderellausa.com. This podcast is produced by Flabs to Fitness, Inc. Flabs to Fitness is an online wellness company that specializes in mindful eating, personalized workout programs, and offers a subscription workout program for 20-minute workouts you can do anywhere. It's also a social media content firm for creation and scheduling of content and engagement with your fans on a variety of platforms, including this podcast. Find out more at www.flabstofitness.com. Last but not least, we are sponsored by Athletic Outcomes. Athletic Outcomes is Austin's boutique wellness studio focusing on functional fitness and sports recovery. Located in Southeast Austin, AO provides services such as personal training, group classes, pre- and postnatal training, nutrition coaching, massage therapy, chiropractic, recovery compression boots, and MSW lounge vitamin shots. It's your one-stop shop for health and fitness. Check them out on social media at Athletic Outcomes to stay up to date on their events and programs. Okay, guys. Our guest for episode 44 today, gosh, dang it, that's, wow. Uh, Our guest is Dude Spellings. Yes, his name is Dude, and he gets that surprised look a lot. (laughs) Um, He's so cool to talk to. Him and John geek out on all sorts of things. Uh, He's been a client at MSW for a long time now, and they mentioned that in the beginning of the episode. But Dude has a long history of economics, marketing, various things in those fields, but he has also run a lot of ultra marathons. I think he said at least 14. And um, now he is switching his career to health coaching. He um, is the creator of Fat Adapted Coach. It's just fatadaptedcoach.com. I will put that in the show notes as well. But um, yeah, he he has worked with some of the top people in the field of uh, fat-fueled endurance training, including Brad Kearns and Mark Sisson, and um, super knowledgeable just on a lot of the biohackery science that is emerging now. So dig into this episode. It's a really good one. So enjoy How Do You Health, episode 44 with Dude Spellings. Hi guys, welcome to the How Do You Health podcast. I was so prepared for that. <laughs> uh, so it's uh, September 26th today. We got Dude Spellings here. He uh, 
we he's a fat adapted coach. That's right. right? Yep. We're going to be talking a little bit about everything biohacking. We're going to talk about blue light. We're going to talk about his recent run in with uh, traditional medicine. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be a fun little story, and uh, it, it's just going to be fun. It's going to be a good episode. I can already tell. He comes. He's come in a couple of times. I've only met him the last time he come in. He came in, and we connected really well. So I'm excited about this. And we got Nurse Doza here. Um, our co-host, and then of course myself, Tex Mexiogi. My throat's a little rough, but we're good to go. So let's get this started. Yeah. So uh, the the preface of this is I met dude what about a year and a half ago? Something like it, that. It was it was right before y'all came over here. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it was like springtime or something. So we're gonna start year. yoga vita. No, uh, no, we no. Way before it was it cry. It was way yeah. Yeah. before. Yeah. So so we were there, and I remember you came in, and I remember the introduction beforehand. It's like you got to meet this guy, dude. And I was like, what's his name? Named dude. It's like, okay, cool. All right, let's meet dude. I like him already. And so you came down and we talked for what, an hour and a half, maybe two it, hours? It, yeah. At, at least, least, right? Like yeah. people were coming in, they're still going. We spent the whole day just talking. Yep. And it was funny because like I was fascinated by everything you were saying. It was stuff that I never really thought about in that light, but you, you made sense. Uh, you talked about blue light. You yep. introduced me to blue light and EMFs yep. and IR saunas. You talked about the science behind that. You talked about ACDC conduction with water, yep. alkalinic water. Not the band. Not the band. <laughs> uh, alkalinic water, the grounding aspect. Yep. And then you talked relentlessly about circadian rhythm and melatonin. Totally. And it was funny because I never heard anyone talk about health on that. Because remember I said like, why? I do hormones, I do vitamins, I do stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, but this is what I do for my health. And then you said, oh, yeah, and I'm also an avid speed golfer as well. Oh, yeah. Right? And I was like, what the hell is that? Right? Yeah. So can you tell the listeners what speed golf is? Sure. So uh, it's really simple. Speed golf is just golf, but you play it as fast as you can. And then your score is your strokes plus your minutes. So if you shoot 75 in 75 minutes, your score is 150. And if somebody else shoots 75 in 70 minutes, their score is 145. They beat you. Okay. So nice. So it's it's unique. So you're um, running. You're running. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're yeah, running. Yeah. That's what it is, right? Yeah. Now I'm I am a what you call an age grouper, right? So I'm I'm 48 years old. I don't compete with the the pro kids anymore. But there's there's Nick Willis who uh, I believe now was awarded the gold medal in the 1500 meters in Beijing. Okay. Uh, he was awarded the bronze at the time of the race, and then the bronze medalist or the silver medalist was uh, outed for for uh, doping and then he got the silver and I believe now he's the same thing happened with the gold uh, but he plays and I'm not competing with him right, right on the running so uh, I'm in the amateur division um, I got my best showing so far is uh, third in the world championships in 2014 that's awesome and back that was actually the very beginning of my health renaissance journey. Now, is this 18 holes? Eight, yeah, 18 holes. Now, I, I play in about 50 to 55 minutes. The uh, the really good runners will do it in about 40, maybe a few minutes under 40 minutes. So they're... they're but you still have to get the ball in. You still have to be good at golf, right? Like <laughs> well, so it turns out, typically, the guys that are really good at speed golf are really good golfers who get in shape. Yeah, because it's a lot easier to get in shape than it is to get good at golf. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine like Tiger Woods like running like crazy. Well, you know, it's funny. So, so Kevin Na, who's a notoriously slow golfer on uh -huh. tour, like a lot of pro golfers really get upset with him because he takes a long time. But 
what happens in these PGA events is these guys, like, they blow their round on uh, Friday. They know there's no way they can make the cut. So on uh, Thursday, or I'm sorry, they blow it on Thursday, and then on Friday they just try to get done. Like, if they're the last place person, yeah, they just try to get done as fast as they can. They go out first. Yeah, and exactly. They, and they can play as fast as they could. So in the last couple of years, there's been, like, three or four pro golfers who have set the PGA record for the fastest round. And Kevin Na actually just said it in an hour and 56 minutes, he and his caddy. And there's footage of his, he and his caddy like running, like that caddy with a giant pro bag <laughs> running down the fairway to, to beat the record. And they, they did it in an hour and 56 minutes. And all these fat guys on the sideline are like, what the hell's going on? What are they doing? But the crazy thing is I don't remember the exact score that Kevin Na shot, but it was like 60 six or something i mean it was a legitimate score it was under yeah. yeah and what <laughs> and, and that's the, that's the thing people like people who play golf that that have never tried speed golf they're blown away that you can you, you basically shoot about the same kind of scores that you do in normal golf yeah what happens is your um your conscious brain gets out of the way right i mean it's it's insane the number of times I've been playing speed golf and I hit my tee shot errant. I go over there, I'm in the rough, and I gotta like go under the first tree and over the second tree and hook it 30 yards to get it on the green. And because your focus is on the speed, you just walk up, you see what has to be done, and you just execute. And there's no time to introduce to doubt. Overthink it. Yeah, right. and overthink it and to introduce doubt, and you and you just execute it and do it. Right. And like normal golf, I play normal golf every weekend. And to hit that shot doing normal golf, like I, I wouldn't even try it just because yeah. I, I know that I would second guess myself. Right. So so there's science behind running up and down chasing this white little ball. Right? I mean sure. there, so so go into it more because it, there's more to it than just that. I mean you know, there's primal movements, I know obviously there's sympathetic response. Tell us a little bit about why you do speed golf. Like what does it do for you physically? Well, uh, a lot of us that do speed golf do it because it's one of the few sports that you can do that kind of puts you in that flow state. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you've, you're familiar with um, the book The Rise of Superman. And I've heard Stephen that. Cutler, I think is his name. Yeah, I've heard it. I've read it though. So it, that talks a lot about the flow state. And then his second book is called Stealing Fire, which kind of takes the whole idea further into like microdosing psychedelics and tapping uh, emotional tapping d- different le- well no not not the emotional tapping that's different but, but uh, <laughs> no tapping into like uh, higher states of consciousness ah okay and and that's kind of what the flow state is is you're you're just kind of letting the the um, unconscious take over yeah and that's kind of what attracts me to speed off you kind of get in this rhythm it's not what I tell people is it's way easier than regular golf because you're not thinking so much, right? right? And way more fun than just regular running, yeah. Because you're doing something, yeah. In addition to yeah. the running, and and really, in a nutshell, that's that's what attracts me to it is, um, you know, the, that combination. But it's actually really an integral part of my journey into health, right? Cool. So tell so tell us about it. you got to. I like frisbee golf. Frisbee golf <laughs> and, and ultimate. ultimate. Ultimate too. I'm sure you dabble in that too, right? Uh, 
I haven't so much, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to trying it. There's yeah. only so many hours in the day. Though. I was going to say, so tell us about your journey because you have a really great story. Okay, so, um, oh man, in I guess it was 2013, early in 20, actually it was at the end of 2012, a friend of mine tagged me on a Facebook post about speed golf and said, hey, you've got to try this. And it was, the post was with this guy named Scott Dolly who, uh, at the time was fifth in the world professionally at speed golf and he was um, from Houston. So I had always wanted to try it. I had like, I mean this is said, like every person my age that's done speed golf has the same story. They heard about this Olympian back in the 80s named Steve Scott who did, who played 18 holes in 39 minutes and they always thought that'd be so much fun. Yeah. So I had heard about speed golf in the 80s but I never knew how to play it or where to play it or anything sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah so this friend of mine connected me with Scott who was fifth in the world at speed golf and I was like man I've, I've been wanting to play speed golf for 30 years <laughs> and so I contacted him and he was like oh yeah man let's do it just get the first tee time at your club and we'll, we'll go out and so I, I did that and it just so ha that was in January and just so happened that that next weekend the forecast was going to be 37 and rain so he calls me up and he's like I'll come up, but you can't quit on me, man. You have to like promise that we're gonna go play if I drive up from Houston. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in. So 37 in rain, we're the only people on the golf course. We tee off, and he teed off in front of me since he was gonna be faster, and he just kind of told me what to do. So I waited for him to get out of range, and I teed off. And at this particular golf course, the 16th tee box is right by the clubhouse. So I came up to the 16th tee box, and he's like sitting on the porch of the pro shop, like chilling out like he's already finished, right? Yeah. I saw him up there, and I was like, oh, man, I'm such a loser. And because he's already finished, and yeah, I'm yeah. still not even, it's got three holes to go. Yeah. So I get done. He meets me afterwards, comes out, and he was like so enthusiastic. He was like, man, you did awesome. And I'm like, man, what are you talking about? I finished like half an hour after you. Yeah. And he's like, no, man, you don't understand. You did great. You, like, most people can't even play nine holes in 45 minutes. And you did 18 in an hour and 15. You're, you, in, you the know, in, in the rain. In the rain in 37 In, in, in the rain. And, and he's like, and, and at the time, I was 45 pounds heavier than I am now. <coughs> and, and I knew I was out of shape. And, like, the whole time I was running, I was just like, oh, why did I let myself get so out of shape? You know? Yeah. And, uh, and he, he basically told me. Right then, he's like, man, if you got in shape, you could compete in the world championships. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. He goes, if you get it. He's like, the amateurs run in like 55 minutes. So if you got in shape, you could easily do that. And that was really the impetus for me getting, losing weight, getting in shape, figuring it all out. Yeah. And I lost about between, that was in January, world championships were in October. I lost 25 pounds just old-fashioned like calorie restriction and um, exercise and went to the world championships and I knew I was still like 20 pounds overweight because I've been a runner my whole life and, and so I knew like what my running weight was and yeah. I wasn't still there so I showed up and was like in the back of my mind just like 
please don't embarrass yourself with running, right? Like, don't come in, like, you know, 15 minutes later than yeah. the slowest guy, right? Yeah. Just, like, suck at golf, but, like, just, just, run, just run your ass off, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and ironically, that's actually been the best showing I've had. And since then, I've gotten in way better physical shape, but every time I've played in the World Championships, my golf has sucked. <laughs> but the, another key turning point was at that World Championships, I met Brad Kearns, who is the co-author with Mark Sisson on a lot of his books. And he kind of um, heard my story, and we started talking, and he was telling me, like, oh, yeah, man, you know, you're – you could be training way more efficiently and this calorie restriction stuff is for the birds and like you know you're there's way easier better ways to, to do what you're trying to do and so that kind of got me thinking and scott and i actually started a um, podcast on speed golf mm -hmm. and so we uh don't need to stop no we're still recording no. oh, okay you're good and so um i uh we had brad on our podcast and that's really when Brad dropped some truth bombs on me and started telling me um, that was the first time I really heard about sleep yeah. and how important it was. Because I've always been like this go, go, go guy who's you know like type A, get things done, do 12 things at once and five times more things than other people can do and that sort of thing. And uh, stay up late, get up early, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so on the podcast, Brad was really telling me about how, you know, I needed to, like, totally change my training. So my training was totally messed up. And I got away with it until I was in my 40s, right? So my training used to be like, okay, uh, I got a three-mile course at my, around my neighborhood. I'm going to try to run it faster today than I did yesterday. Yeah. And just do that every day. Okay. Right, which... Like, there's a recipe for just keeping you pegged and yeah. sympathetic yeah. all the time. Yeah. High cortisol, all the problems that go with it, on and on and on. So he started telling me, you know, like, no, 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 no. There's a smarter way to train. You need to build your aerobic base. Building your aerobic base is going to, like, calm down all of those sympathetic responses, get you more parasympathetic, make you more relaxed, yeah. um, ease all your muscle tension, which at the time I really, I was, like, getting two or three massages, however many I could afford a week yeah. just to keep running because the way I was training and eating was like keeping me just high tension all the time. Yeah. Plus my desk job, sitting, yeah. you know, like sitting 10 hours a day as a computer programmer and then going out when I got home and running three miles as hard as I can, like just a yeah. t complete disaster recipe. Mm -hmm. uh, but then on that conversation, he also planted the seed of sleep and recovery, right? And, you know, like I said, I was this guy who was like, oh yeah, man, pride myself. I, I go to bed at 2 a.m. and get up at 6 a.m., I'm good to go, I don't need sleep. Right. Um, you know, you can sleep when you're dead, blah, blah, blah. And he challenged me on that. And he was like, no, 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 sleep is an integral part of your training because that's where you recover, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't, if you don't have ample recovery, then your training is just tearing you down. There's no more, there's no recovery and rebuilding response to right. the training because you're not giving your body opportunity to have it, right? right? For whatever reason, that struck a chord with me and I started really getting into the recovery aspect of things. Right. And, and I actually pushed back with Brad in the conversation and I was like, 
I was like, oh yeah, I feel fine. And he was like, you don't even understand how you could feel. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because you've been at this level of like four hours of sleep for 10, 12, 15 years, whatever. You don't even understand what it could be like. Yeah. So don't tell me you're functioning fine. You're functioning fine according to your understanding of fine, which is not accurate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I started doing all this research and looking into it. I actually bought Brad's book, Primal Endurance, like that night on Amazon. And, you know, with Prime, got it in two days. And I think the first paragraph after the foreword and the intro and all that, if I'm not mistaken, it's like the first or second sentence in the first paragraph says something like, are you the guy that gets stance, uh, goes to the starting line of the 10K or the marathon and you know you're 20 pounds overweight? And I, man, that hit me like right between the eyes. I was like, yep, I was in, in speed golf and I knew I was 20 pounds overweight. And so that made me like really focus on like, okay, this book's speaking to me yeah. and figure it out. And the book talks a lot about recovery and, and uh, circadian rhythm and, um, you know, all of the taking care of yourself um, type stuff to, to aid recovery. And I just started going deeper and deeper and getting further into it and doing research on all the different things that can help, help recovery from, you know, infrared sauna to... Um, cold baths and cold therapy and sleep and and then you know paired with that all of the stuff that keeps you from getting into that parasympathetic mode where you can rest and digest and, and actually do recovery that led me to Jack Cruz yep. and a lot of his um, amazing information which then brought like quantum physics into the whole thing yeah. and like way down the rabbit hole oh, yeah. with that but um, yeah it it really you know I had no idea like I might have in economics so like I had no training in any of this stuff and all of this really opened my eyes to just how I lived for like years and years and maybe 10, 12, 15 years just being totally sympathetic dominant, never giving my body a chance to rest, never uh, allowing the parasympathetic system to take over and, and do the healing. And like I said, I was getting away with it until I was in my 40s. Yeah. There was, I mean, there were signs earlier, right? Like I had gained 45 pounds over eight, 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, insidious little, you know, two, three pounds a year, yeah. but it adds up, right? Oh yeah, of course. And uh, it's amazing, as soon as I started implementing the strategies to, to become more parasympathetic, um, you know, to, to foster that response, lost 20 pounds, um, started feeling better, no longer needed as many massages. Now I hardly ever get massages. I was getting two or three a week just to keep training. Um, uh, my allergies went away. Uh, I was, I was, I never really had allergies as, young, as a young kid, but then as I got into my 40s, I started getting really bad skin allergies. 
Um, I had nasal allergies a little bit as a, as a young person. That got way worse. It got to the point where like every fall and spring I'd lose my voice because my allergy response was so, so bad. But the skin allergy was the big one. I, I used to never get any kind of poison ivy or anything. I played a lot of golf, and so in the summertime I would get like five um, poison ivy outbreaks a summer, just you know going into the woods looking for balls and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it got so bad that I would have to get prednisone. Um, like that was the only thing that could control it. I would. I, yeah. It, it, it when I, at the end before I started implementing all these strategies, I got to the point where if I went into the woods and got uh, poison ivy, say like on my knee, mm -hmm. the next day after I woke up, it would be like all the way down to my foot, all the way up to my chest, mm -hmm. and just spreading like wildfire, and I'd have to get a prescription like that day yeah. to shut it down. Yeah. And it's been three years now, I have had no uh, poison ivy, no other skin allergies. I used to get random crazy skin allergies. I'd go like in wintertime, uh, no poison ivy, right? Poison ivy is not even alive. Uh, I hadn't been outside and I'd get this skin allergy and I'd go to the doctor and they couldn't explain it. They'd, well, contact dermatitis, here's some prednisone. Yeah, yeah. Haven't had any of that in three years. My nasal aller allergies, I used to take a Zyrtec a day, year round, 365 days a year. Uh, just to like keep all that at bay. Yeah, like preventative almost, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, take no allergy, I'm on zero meds. So no allergy meds, nothing. Have now in the fall and spring, I get, you know, when when it's, you, you know how Austin is, oh, yeah. I mean, it, when it's cedar fever season. Oh yes, yeah. everyone, <laughs> just like what he's doing, he's got a little scratch in his throat, people are congested, they got the headaches, all that. Yeah, yeah and, and I get sniffles now, yeah, but like nothing, comp and I don't even need meds, even then. Yeah, and so like this whole move to really um, strengthen the parasympathetic and get away from the sympathetic has really this has like completely changed my life. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about some of those strategies? Well, I, I yeah, because you talk about parasympathetic in a way that like that's your main goal in life. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely. incredible because most people never mention that, right? Like sympathetic response for people who don't know a sympathetic. I know you touched on it earlier. Sympathetic's flight or fight, and a parasympathetic is rest and digest, right? right? And the reason why it's rest and digest is because when you're sleeping, you're in parasympathetic mode, or you should be. should be. You should be, right? We're not always the case, right? right. We'll talk about it in a second. But then the digest part is when you're in parasympathetic mode. That's when your motility of your gut is able to actually process food through your digestive tract and you're actually able to go poop. Yep. Right? So if you're in sympathetic mode, you can't poop. Really? You really can't pee. You're not supposed to pee either, right? Your your vessels, like your arteries and veins, they yeah, constrict. constrict. They yeah. constrict. Um, it changes your breathing pattern. Yep. It raises your heart rate. And then what it also does is it promotes cortisol release. Yep. Right? And cortisol, like the, 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 the big elephant in the room, I like to say, among people who are fit, right, is that little extra 15 pounds around the waist yep. that nobody can get rid of. I hear that all the time. That's cortisol. That is cortisol. And it's funny because I hear a lot of people say, I can't lose weight and I don't know why. I've been training three hours a day. I eat keto. Um, I'm taking all these supplements. I've tried every single diet and I just can't, I can't lose that last 15. So then it's like, how's your sleep? Yep. How's your stress level? 
Oh, it's through the roof. I got all this crap. I, go, but I don't have time yep. to, to slow down. I got to push through. I got 12-hour days. I got to wake up. I got kids on. I'm like, that's why you can't lose weight. You're in sympathetic mode. Yeah, and and I have I my my coaching practice. I focus on endurance athletes because that's what I do. Yeah, um, and I have had athletes come to me and, and tell me, you know, either I can't lose weight or I can't uh, achieve the you know gains I want in my workouts or whatever. And I and you know we start at the basics. Okay, tell me about your life. Tell me about what's going on. And they go, okay, well, uh, I'm going through a divorce. Yep. My child has this chronic disease. Um, I am stressed at work because I've got this massive project that's due and I'm working 16 hours a day. And uh, I never go outside and I sleep four hours a night. And I'm like, well, yeah, stop training. That's your answer. I'm yeah. like, stop training for your ultra marathon. Yeah. Stop training for your Ironman. And that's not what they want to hear. Oh, right? Of course not. Like, you're crazy. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you, you can't. You need to take care of yourself before you start trying to achieve all of these superhuman athletic feats. Yeah. Right? If you don't, if you're not even covering the basics of light, water, and magnetism, and sleep. Yeah. Uh, you don't have any business trying to do these incredible feats. That's just going to like further shove you into sympathetic and yeah. you know. End your life early. End your life early is the long term. Yeah. And then the short term is, you know, adrenal fatigue and hypothyroidism. Oh, and, yeah. And, and well, in sympathetic mode, it's like your body shuts everything else down, right? Because let's, let's get through this stressful period. Right. So that we can go back to our regular life. But then if we never go back to our regular life, then you don't go back to your regular, you know, processing your food properly. Well, that's, like a, that. that's a, yeah. a great point is, is that, you know, modern life is set up for us to be sympathetic all the time yeah but if you look at like ancestrally it it should be exactly the opposite right the sympathetic nervous system is there to help you run away from the lion yeah right it's not there to uh make you stressed out and and angry on your way to uh work work because traffic is three times worse than it should be yeah right and so most people are living in this in the sympathetic system, which was evolutionarily designed to be like two, three percent of life, yep. and now we're just pegged in it all the time. So that's why my goal is, yeah, I just want to do stuff that gets me in more parasympathetic. parasympathetic. Yeah. yeah. So you, so you do a lot of that. Um, I've heard we talked about obviously the um, the idea of shifting your mental focus into a more relaxed state, and we you know we talked to you know meditation, yoga, prayer, like whatever you want to say, right? It all kind of goes together. But right. you're talking. You also talked about water. Yes. You talked about EMFs and light. So tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what do you do? What do you what do you mean by water getting you in a parasympathetic mode? Well, I guess just for um, uh, like the real basics on that is most water tap water in particular, uh, even bottled water, is just filled with crap. Yeah. Right? um, Pharmaceuticals, chlorine, fluoride, all this stuff that is causing a stress response. Yeah. And not to mention that it's not alkalized and um, if it comes in plastic is probably has not not only the other stuff but BPA or BPS. Mm -hmm. And then the plastic um, 
takes away the alkalization and also um, the oxidative reduction potential, which is, so pH is a measure of the protons and oxidative reduction potential is the opposite, which is a measure of electrons. Mm-hmm. And um, water that is like connected to the earth in a natural body of water mm-hmm. is connected to the earth's um, electromagnetic field which gives that water a high oxidation reduction potential, which is basically an a antioxidant, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and so when you're drinking, um, you know, all the commercialized water, you're not, you're not getting the benefit of the antioxidants, which is, can help you get more into parasympathetic, but it's, it's worse than that because it's adding all of the crap that's in the water that then elicits a sympathetic response to get rid of it all. Yeah, and we have a hard enough time detoxing all that so it stays in our body, right? I mean, that's what happens. The gut motility, right? If you can't poop out all those toxins and you can't pee it out... Or sweat it out. Or sweat it out, then what happens is it stays in and attacks your body, right? And and I mean, and you think about it too, BPA lining, chemicals and plastic, they're all... um, uh, xenoestrogens. Yep, that right? too. Yeah. So it messes with your endocrine system, right? Yeah. And you wonder why these women, and I don't know if there's a connection, but I mean, think about it now. One in eight women are going to have breast cancer. You know, colon cancer is on the rise in countries that never even had an issue until 20 years ago when fast food came into play. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Well, it's, it's not just fast food, it's the EMFs too. Ah, so talk, so talk about that. EMFs. All right, so, so uh, life on Earth evolved under the sun. So, you know, what's, what's the only, you know, I think they say life started like, you know, something like single cell life, right? Started like 2 billion years ago or something. Yeah. The only thing that has remained the same on earth for 2 billion years is the sun. Yeah. So it just makes sense that life would have evolved to respond to the sun in our environment. right? Right. And so if you take evolution all the way through all the phases up until you get to Homo sapien, um, you know, each, along the way in each one of those phases, there's going to be more complex responses to um, the sun. Yeah. And the, one of the things that blows me away is how modern medicine totally ignores all this stuff with blue light and EMFs. And... But at the same time, if you ask most doctors if they've heard of the dawn phenomenon, right? Yep. For the listeners, you can Google dawn phenomenon; it will come up. It's an actual thing. Yeah, D A W N, like the the sun's like coming the sun. up. It's yeah. the dawn. Yep. Um, it it's very well known, and and what it is is that the early morning sunlight has a lot of blue light in it, and that blue light is a cue. It's an environmental cue that the body has evolved to use as a signal to turn off melatonin, mm-hmm. which is your sleep hormone, mm-hmm. which does more than sleep, by the way, I'm sure. Of course. You know. yeah. uh, but it also turns on a little cortisol to wake you up so that you're alert and get your day going. Yep. Um, and modern technology, so indoor lighting, all LEDs, unless you get a little blue light LED, which they do make, Fluorescent lights, all screens, unless you have a blue light blocker on your device, all have four times more blue light than early morning sunlight. So, you know, people are like, you know, the people we were talking about earlier, right, have all this stress going on. 
And then how do they end their day? Right? They come home, they put their kids to bed, and they go, oh, finally time I can relax. So they lay in bed looking at their tablet, laptop, or phone mm-hmm. right before they go to bed, yep. which has four times more blue light, which is sending that early morning sunlight signal to shut down your sleep hormone that helps you sleep mm-hmm. and to turn on your cortisol, yep. which wakes you up. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I tell people this and they go, oh, I have no trouble sleeping. Well, my answer is the same one that Brad gave me so many years ago, right? Yeah. Well, you just don't even understand. Like, you don't know. Yeah. But even if you feel like you're sleeping okay, melatonin does more than just make you sleepy. Yeah. It is a catalyst for repair and regeneration of tissue. And so if you don't have enough of it, you're not repairing your body sufficiently. Mm-hmm. So even if you do feel somewhat rested when you wake up, you may not have gotten the maximum rejuvenation benefit out of your sleep oh, yeah. that you could have. Oh yeah, and it makes in vitamin D deficiency, yeah. which melatonin is also involved in the conversion of you know UV light. Okay, so that's the D. so that's the second cue right. that that I like to tell people about with the sunlight is. So the first cue is in the morning, you're getting um, that dose of blue light mm-hmm. with no UV. Yes. Okay, so. There's UVA in the morning, but um, UVB is what um, generates vitamin D. Okay. It's also what gives you a suntan. Yeah. And so in in early morning, you get uh, the blue light without the UV that tells your body what time it is, mm-hmm. and that sets the clock in your brain. Mm-hmm. And that's why people with all these um, uh, uh, adrenal and hypothyroid type issues um, can really benefit from this one simple set step of getting outside and seeing morning sunlight is because that starts the hormone hormone cascade right if your body doesn't know what time it is it doesn't know when you need the, the uh, melatonin when you need the cortisol when you need the leptin yep when you need the ghrelin Yep. It's all connected. And until, and, and, and now we know uh, through science that every cell in the body has a clock gene. Yep. And what being in the morning sunlight does is it synchronizes the gene, the clock gene in your cells with the clock in your brain. And so that all this, this amazing orchestra of hormones and uh, minerals and vitamins and all the stuff that your body is doing just incredible job of of orchestrating uh all of that can't that that orchestra can't uh, harmonize without the conductor and the conductor is the morning sunlight that's right now the second part was the midday sunlight so the midday sunlight has the uvb yep Uh, Depending on where you live and what time of year. That's true. So north of the 39th parallel, I believe, they enter what is called the vitamin D winter. So there's no UVB if you're at sea level. If if you're at elevation, it's different. But at at sea level, above 39th parallel, um, in wintertime, there's no vitamin. You can't make vitamin D. But we're lucky that we live in Austin. I think we're at the 33rd parallel. Okay. Uh, And we can actually make vitamin D year-round. Yep. And I actually increased my vitamin D in winter time 
from 39 to 47 yeah. uh, just by eating lunch outside every day. Yeah. And, you know, I'd wear a short sleeve shirt and stuff and make sure it was sunny. Like, I'm not going to waste my time if I'm outside and it's raining. But <laughs> so no sunscreen for you? No, I don't, I don't use any sunscreen. I never use it either. It's really rare that I do. Yeah, I don't ever use it. And, and did I tell you about my story going to Schlitterbahn with the family? Uh-uh. So I would heard from Cruz that the amount of UV light that you can simulate is directly proportional to the amount of IR light that you get. Okay. So how do you get IR light without getting UV light? Early morning sun. Yeah. And, and late sun as well. And so I started doing, have making, doing this practice of doing my, about 45 minutes of yoga outside every morning before UV shows up. If you want to know when UV shows up in your neighborhood, there's an app called D-Minder. Of course there is. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> uh, but I, I downloaded this app, D-Minder, yeah. and it's, it's super easy. You install it, you open it, and it tells you you can get UVB between these times. That's awesome. And so I would make a point of going outside before that time, yeah. do my yoga barefoot, grounded, outside. Nice. Yep. And I was doing this all summer. And so then my wife says, let's go to Schlitterbahn for those people not in Austin, that's a water park. Yeah. And um, we get there, we're gonna, we're gonna be there from open to close, which is 10 a.m. to I think 7 p.m. in summertime. Wow. And so we get there and my wife's like lubing up the kids with sunscreen, putting, she's like, you want me to put some on you? I was like, no, I don't think I need any. She looked at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. I spend the whole day outside, we never went inside to eat or anything, outside in the sun, on the water, in an inner tube, and got home that night and I was not sunburned. And that really made me a believer in, like if you don't want, now, some caveats, right? I'm also getting my midday sun, so I'm building yeah. my solar callus. Yeah. I have a good suntan yeah. already. So. You've already been exposed right. to sun. It's not like you haven't been outside, and all of a sudden you decide I'm gonna spend 12 hours under the Texas sun. Yeah, yeah. if you're yeah. If, if you're uh, pasty white living in Canada and you move to to Austin in in August, you know, first thing you do is not to go outside and, right. and yeah. bake in the sun for yeah, yeah, six yeah. hours. You don't want to get sunburned and then kind of reverse it back when Yeah, and people. speaking yeah. of, sunburn is like a natural cue to tell you to get out of the sun. Right? Yeah. You've, you've got more UV than you can handle, so get in the shade. The best way I heard these studies on sun exposure explained um, was, God, I wish I remember which doctor it was, but... Um, he basically said, uh, in all of the studies proving that sun exposure is quote-unquote bad, they are proving that acute, high-level oh, sun yeah. exposure is bad, so a sunburn, but um, chronic, long-term sun exposure is beneficial. So, but in, that, in other words, saying, you know, spend a little time in the sun every day, work up your quote-unquote resistance, work up your tan, yeah. don't let it get to the point where you're burned because the danger comes from once you're burned. Right. So yeah. just work up your exposure. Yeah. So, so yeah. Like running a marathon and not, yeah. never like training. Never training, right? yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Have you ever uh, done any research or seen any research on uh, sun gazing? Yes. So uh, I don't sun gaze as much as I should. Yeah. Um, but the idea there is that you want to um, sun gaze 
early in the morning or very late in the yeah. evening when the sun is super low in the horizon and it doesn't hurt your eyes to yeah. to look at it. Uh, it you can do it up to eleven minutes, is what I've read. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, so what, what's the David Limecker? I think that's how his name is. Mm-hmm. He lives in Canada. He sells like. Um, he sells like, <laughs> no, he's, he sells like deer antler. Um, oh, powder. Yeah. Powder, yeah. Which I don't really know what for HGH is. growth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, is that what it is? Well, I don't know. I'm friends with him on Facebook, but he he was. I heard him on a podcast talking about sun gazing and how he just feels so much more in tune with his circadian rhythm because of it, and his eyes are perfectly fine. And yeah. yeah. There's even articles written about people being able to levitate because of sun gazing. Well. Now, now you're getting into uh, <laughs> other stuff that I'm into. <laughs> this is how our first conversation went. And I was like, what do you mean that you go barefoot and you – because I think what, even the speak off, you were saying you're going from side to side, right? Like you were doing like a primal movement almost. Like, you're like sometimes I do like this kind of you – know, Oh, like, uh, so you like, like – No, so – It was like a crawl, like a I, bear crawl almost, right? So I think what, what we were talking about is um, – just doing the like the side shuffle, the side shuffle, and, and, yeah, yeah. and like yeah. karaoke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So um, I, this is just something I started. I've got all these little <laughs> hacks that I impl- yeah. try to implement, right? So, um, someone had told me about this study that uh, sh- showed that um, some high percentage of active older people. Stop, be, stop staying active because of a fall and something like 90% of the falls were in a direction other than forward. And so the conclusion here is that, uh, let's say, you know, I'm 48, so I'm starting to think about these things as I enter my 50s. And, but let's say, you know, you're a lifelong athlete and you're uh, in your late 60s or early 70s, right? And let's say the only thing that you do is run or cycle, okay. right? So that's basically really forward, forward. all the time. Yeah, right? not even back. Yeah, not backwards yeah. or cycle. Because you're not running backwards. Right, yeah. And, and so, um, you know, if you look at, if you contrast that with like how children play at a playground where they're like jumping off the stuff and, and falling sideways and catching themselves and, yeah. and you know, jumping off little stools and spinning and all this stuff, yeah. we, the reason that we lose that ability is only because we stop doing it. Right. Right. And so the idea with this study is that if you only train in sports that where you're moving in the forward plane, then when you, when you have an accident where you have an occasion to fall sideways or backwards, you don't have any strength in those planes because you never practice it. Oh, yeah. And so somebody had turned me on to this and, I, and had told me about um, you know, the importance of doing like, um, I don't know, side lunges or something. Sure. And, I, and I just thought, well, instead of like uh, working in a side lunge to my already complex lifting routine and stuff, I'm just going to do like side shuffles and karaoke <laughs> yeah. like when I can. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes I'll do it speed golfing. Yeah. And um, but the practice that I do mostly is I'll just park at the grocery store, like far away from the door, and then just side shuffle or karaoke to the front door of the grocery store. 
<laughs> and of course, people look at me. Of course, like, right? Like, who is this guy? Yeah. But that's sort of my way, my hack of, it's not, it's not even every day, right? Because I don't go to the grocery store every day. Yeah. But uh, two, three times a week. Uh, you do it. That's how I do it. And, and it's not even, you know, it's 30 seconds, but it's, it's something. Yeah, it's something. It's like brushing with your opposite hand. Yes. Right? Like how many times do you do that? Or comb your hair with your opposite hand. Right? Like it's just, it's like if you don't use it, you lose it. Totally. Right? And so I see people in the gym all the time and they're just front plane. Bench, lifting. It's called front. sagittal plane. Okay. Sorry, we're going to get well, technical. Cause front, well, because frontal You're right. It's, sag it's the sagittal so plane. So the sagittal plane movement is that plane just going front to back, A to P, right? And P yeah. to A. And there's no lateral movement whatsoever. Right. And the funny thing is, if you think about glute exercises, right, everyone works on glute maximus, right? It's like, well, what about glute minimus and medius, Media, right? Yeah. And there's a 45 degree angle that you have to take in order to activate some of those muscles, right? But what happens a lot of times with TFLs, right? And then IT band, which is a real thing, it doesn't even start. So as. So as, right? It doesn't even start by you going laterally IT band happens in spin people and people who cycle all the time because they're sitting down all the time contracting their hip flexors. Well, this this is, goes back to where I was saying I was when I started doing all this stuff, right? Sitting at a computer 10, 12 hours a day and then going out and trying to run three miles as fast as I could. And I had all those issues, IT stuff, psoas. My psoas was so tight, you couldn't even touch it. It was just so yeah. crazy stiff. Um, and I couldn't... Um, I, I would like kneel down and try to sit on my heels and there was like a eight inch gap between my butt and my feet because <laughs> it do was it. so tight. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm still tight there. I mean, I've been working on it for three, four years. And yeah, we all. Because we're tight. sitting right now. Yes. Right? We're sitting right now. But I'm better. Right? Yeah. Now, okay. now I can rest my feet on my butt. My quads are still tight. But that's six, eight inches of range of motion that I had that I didn't have. Well, see, now you add something else to it, flexibility, which is another basic necessity of life, right? Like if you stop moving, eventually you slow down and die. You wither away, right? Think about flexibility of your joints, the cushioning of the discs. The idea that you can't even bend over and touch your toes when you're 30 years old is a sign that you're not going to be very healthy for much longer. So, so this actually brings me to something that I got into that we haven't ever discussed before. Okay. Have you ever heard of red cord therapy or NERAC? No. So, have you? No. So, um, I found this at this place called uh, CHARM, C-H-A-R-M, yep. the Center for, for Health and Regenerative Medicine. Yep. And first of all, total plug for those guys, I went over there for plantar fasciitis. The um, nurse practitioner that took me in was mm -hmm. like super awesome, spent like, you know, 45 minutes on my intake, which modern medicine didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and after f figuring out what kind of person I was, she was like, you know, normally I would recommend either stem cells or PRP for this, but I think you would really benefit from this new physical therapy that we do called NERAC or Red Cord. Would you be open to it? And I was like, yeah, totally open to it. Okay. So um, I go to the PT, and first of all, I could not believe it. She's into everything I'm into. Yeah. Like, we just start, I think I, I saw a book on her desk or something, and I, and I was like, oh, I've read that book. And we just start throwing out books, and we both had read all the same books. Um, about my third or fourth session in, she says, you know, um, 
something else I might recommend that you might be open to is uh, uh, red light therapy on your um, plantar fasciitis. Would you be open to that? I was like, red light therapy? Yes, of course, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And she couldn't believe I, I had heard about it. I couldn't believe that they yeah. were offering it. But anyway, this NURAC red cord stuff is um, it's physical therapy, but basically they they put you in these they they lay your body out horizontally on a table, and then they have these suspended red cords that go into um, straps that strap around your limbs and your core and stuff, uh -huh. and they can position the straps in a way that forces you to activate whatever core muscle you're not activating so that you can't compensate. Yeah. Like they, you know, with the training that they have from the NURAC people that make the device, they know like how to position your body and how to position these straps to, to make you activate that core muscle that you're not engaging. Right. Right. And so for me, it was basically like my left lower abdominal area yeah. um, was not engaging. And they, they lay you down on this table, they put these straps on you and stuff, and then it's like those mechanical massage tables where they can just lower it. So you're in the straps and you're on the table and then they lower the table, so now you're just suspended by the straps only. Yeah. And you have to uh, activate the muscle that they want you to activate and they'll put they'll sometimes like when you're first laying there you don't really have to do it but then they'll say like okay now uh, move your activate your glute med and move your right leg up and to the back yeah and just by doing that one little movement like moving you might your foot might move eight inches yeah but just that one little movement, now all of a sudden you're like, oh God, man, I have to turn on that lower ab or everything's gonna collapse. And um, that has been a big game changer for me. It's like really, really changed my core and my, st my core stability. I so is this something you're still doing? No, I just, uh, well, I'm doing it on my own now, so I, I bought some straps and I rig it to the TRX yeah, it's just, I'm picturing that in my head like that, yeah. T-Rex, yeah. And, and try to um, simulate what they're having me do. And now that I know what it feels like, I can do a sure. pretty good job of simulating sure. it. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm still working on it that way, but, I'm not, but my insurance ran out on the PT, so I'm no longer going to the PT. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned that, too, because that's a good segue to the story you were telling me. Oh, yeah, so um, modern, my modern medicine story. Yeah. yeah. So I cut my finger on the sardine can, and it went in deep. I like felt it hit the bone. I'm like, oh god. And so I tried to drip, put direct pressure, and it kept bleeding. So I went to the urgent care. The doctor like cleans it all up. It's like shooting iodine in there. Like cleans it up really good. Um, gives me a tetanus shot. Stitches it up. And then the nurse comes in. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna dress your wound and put antibiotic cream on it. And I'm like, no, I don't want it. She's like, well, you have to have it. I'm like, well, I don't have to do anything. And, and she says, uh, well, why don't you want it? And I said, well, I don't, I'm, because I don't know what my insurance is going to pay for. <laughs> and I don't want to be pissed off a month from now when I get the bill and I see that you charge me 
$100 for Band-Aids and Neosporin. Neosporin when the doctor already cleaned it with iodine. Yeah. And I can pick up Band-Aids and Neosporin at Walgreens on my way home for three bucks. Yeah. And she looked at me like nobody had ever made this kind of decision before. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, it's just Band-Aids and Neosporin. Yeah. Second of all, everybody wants to talk about the beauty of the free market system with medicine, <laughs> and here I am making a free market decision, and nobody can understand it. <laughs> but. That, I remember we went to the ER one time, and they wanted us to sign a consent to do all these things. And it was funny, my wife was like, well, can you show me a fee schedule? And they kind of looked at her like, what do you mean? They're like, well, all this stuff that you're about to do, we wonder how much it's going to cost, right? Because we haven't met our deductible. You might be out of network, right? Right. You hear that story about that guy who had that cardiac surgery and he was out of network. Oh, there was a guy here in Austin. Yeah. And it was like one hundred fifty to $250,000. His, his part of the bill was $107,000. Because they were out of network. Yeah. And he didn't know that, right? right? Because their job is we got to save your life. You and, and the dude's a teacher with like, Awesome public sector uh, healthcare. employee healthcare. Yeah, and it's like that's still yeah. So that's a whole issue right there. But so what my wife did was like, well, I want to see how much it's going to cost, and they just looked at her like, you're being an you're being an asshole. Like we need to take care of you. She's like, it's my body and it's my bill, right? Like she goes, you know, if you go get your brakes checked, there's a sign up there that shows you how much you're going to pay for brakes. That's awesome. She goes, uh, I'm I'm a chiropractor. If you come into my office, I have to tell you how much I'm gonna charge you for an adjustment, right? And the lady's like, whatever, and just walked off, and we never signed the consent just to continue treatment. When the doctor came over, he started kind of explaining things, and then we're kind of like, all right, well, we just wanted to know how much this is all gonna cost, because if it's stuff we can do at home, like Neosporin and Band-Aids, we can do it. So the bill got reduced dramatically, but it was funny because when that nurse came back again, she's like, yeah, I don't blame you for doing that stuff. Um, I'd want to know too, but no one ever asked. That's why I gave you that response. And I was like, <laughs> but what the hell, man? Like this is, you can't just walk into a place and just guess what we're going to do. And also like, here you go. Because then it's like, you got no choice but to pay that bill. Yep. Right. Yep. And I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my undergraduate degree is actually in economics. And, <laughs> and, and what people don't understand about having healthcare is like a free market system is, is that with the way that we have it, where nobody pays out of pocket, yeah. it's all paid by insurance. Paying by insurance breaks the fundamental mechanism that keeps pricing in check. Right. right. So what's what's price? Okay. Anybody who's taken any economics class ever, even in high school, will tell you that price is the intersection of the supply and demand curve. Right. Well, you can't have a uh, proper, accurate demand curve unless you know the price. Yeah. Right. Because you may love. Um, dark chocolate, yeah, right. And you may buy that organic, fair trade, uh, delicious dark chocolate bar from Trader Joe's that has, uh, you know, seven grams of carbs and fits into your keto diet. If it's six dollars a bar, but you probably wouldn't buy it if it's twelve dollars a bar. Yeah. And so in healthcare, like that fundamental mechanism of keeping prices in check where the consumer makes the decision on the demand based on price, totally broken in healthcare. Oh yeah. In fact, it's like the reverse. Oh yeah, even more so recently with the marketplace and all that. Well, it's it, like take the PT that I just mentioned. Yeah. Right, so they referred me to the PT 
I had already met my deductible for the year, so my decision was, oh, I'm going to go ahead and do the maximum on the PT because I've already met my deductible, so I'm not paying for it. Right. So, like, the, the decision-making is, like, completely reversed yeah. from the rest of free market stuff. And, and think about this. You can go do those exercises at home, but imagine if you couldn't, and you say, well, I'm not going to pay for any more PT, and I'm done because my insurance is not going to cover it, but the PT's like, well, you're still not done with treatment. Right. You still got another 10 or 12 to go before you're fully ready to go. And you're like, well, I'm not going to pay for any more. And my insurance isn't, so bye. Yeah. Now, thankfully, I she thought that she had taught me enough that, that I could do it on my own. And she was awesome. She actually, my last session, she got my phone and filmed me doing all of the exercises correctly to take home with, with her instruction to take home with me so that now when I go to the gym and use my makeshift straps and the TRX, I, I know what to do. Yeah, I, we've had this talk too, and you brought something also to light. You said it's not that necessarily that doctors don't want to promote things like this or that they're open to the idea of like, you know, you saying, well, I don't, I choose not to do this, I choose to do that. It's that sometimes they're stranglehold. Oh, right? Yeah, so I haven't let the listeners on yet, my doc, my wife's a doctor. Yeah. So I see the medical system, and and you know, I mean, I know my wife, and I know all of the doctors that I am exposed to through um, her, and they're all awesome people, and they all want to help people. Yep. But they're held hostage by the same system that the patients are held hostage by, right? And it's a system that has so many huge corporate interests invested in keeping the status quo that it's very difficult to make change. So like earlier I said you can ask almost any doctor in America what the dawn phenomenon is and they would agree that that oh that's when you go outside you see blue light and it turns off melatonin and turns on cortisol. Yet when you ask them uh, should I be limiting blue light at night? Their answer will be only if you have a seasonal affective disorder or only if you can't sleep, right? And, you know, there's a, a million things like that. So um, if you go to the, the Diabetes Association, the American Diabetes Association website, there's actually a page on their website that says, eating sugar causes diabetes is a myth. That's actually a page on their website that eating sugar is a myth. Oh yeah, they think if you diabetes. differentiate between the type of carbs you eat, then you're fine. And if you then do further research on their website to find out who their largest donors are for funding, it's Nestle and Coca-Cola and Kraft and Nabisco and all these companies that, you know, and the people that work at the American Diabetes Association, they're good people, yep. right? They want to help diabetics. They're awesome, good people. Yeah but they're stuck in the same system where they, they want to preserve their funding and we have a system, we've all agreed that the way we're going to set up a nonprofit like that is through corporate funding. Yeah. Um, that, and that's a, that's a decision we all make, right? And so they're stuck in this position where they have to keep their donors happy to keep the money flowing in so that they can stay in business and continue helping people, but they have to craft that message in a way that benefits diabetics 
and also doesn't alienate their donors. Yeah. I mean, that's a how can you Conflict not have, of interest. Yeah, well, how can you not have sympathy for the person working at the American Diabetes Association? Yeah. Yeah. Like that that's just it's an impossible task. And everyone in medicine is stuck in the same boat, right? So who funds most of the continuing medical education? Mm -hmm. Pharmaceutical industry, right? So all of the continuing I mean, not all of it, but a large portion of it, of it is funded by people who are telling you in the continuing medical education that this drug, that drug, and the other drug is what's going to fix your yeah, the problem, your restless leg syndrome, and your this syndrome and that syndrome, and all this stuff. That I mean, they're we're we're coming up with syndromes in order to sell the drugs. Oh yeah. I never heard of restless leg until about 15 years ago, and I didn't even know it was an actual thing. I just mean the Jimmy legs, you know? Like <laughs> they're like, yeah, there's a there's a medicine for that now, right? And I'm like, was I deficient in that medicine to begin with? Is that why I have restless legs now? You know? And it it's weird because if you're taught something, that's how you're going to implement it in practice, right? So you go to medical school, you're just taught here's a disease, here's the symptoms to look for, here's how you test for it, here's what you get, right? A to B. Not, it's connected to this, it's connected to this, also look for this as a possibility. You keep talking about Dom Phenomenal, I keep going to insulin. Yep. Because that's what, it's in the medical community, we were taught insulin response. Right. Insulin goes up with cortisol, right? And, so, well, and this, this is a really good point, I should have mentioned this earlier. So, one of the big things about um, blue light and why it keeps you sympathetic is that in addition to insulin, it raises blood sugar. That's why it raises insulin. Yeah, it's not that it really raises insulin; it's that it raises blood sugar, and the and blood then sugar the insulin spikes. Yes, yeah. and so if you look at our energy systems and how we're supposed to function evolutionarily, right? So you've got your anaerobic system, which is burning sugar. Mm -hmm. So, without getting super complicated, right? You, you've you've got two basic energy systems for the people that really know. There's three, but the third one is sort of a 15 second response type deal. Yeah. Anaerobic, anaerobic. And anaerobic can only run on sugar. And uh, aerobic can run on fat or sugar. But uh, if, you, if you're supplying only fat, that can't be burned anaerobically. So you're gonna, if you have, if you're fueling mostly off fat and ketones, you're gonna be uh, aerobic which is more conducive to parasympathetic. Yeah. Um, so if you think about running away from the lion, what energy system are you using? Sympathetic. Well, the energy system is anaerobic, anaerobic. And sugar, yeah. right? So you're using the sugar when you're running away from the lion. Because it burns faster. Yeah, because it burns faster. Right. But at a cost. Yeah. Yes. And so what happens with the blue light is you sit in the blue light all day in your office, raises blood sugar. Right? And cortisol yep. and insulin. Yep. Okay. So and and then on top of that, most people are feeding it the standard American diet, which is like way too many processed carbohydrates. Yep. Right? Now, the anaerobic sugar can be be burned two ways through aerobic respiration, which uses oxygen, and anaerobic respiration, which uses glycolysis, but doesn't use. Um, oxygen, but only produces 2 ATP, whereas aerobic respiration produces 38 ATP. Mm -hmm. So this is where, like you, you've heard people say diabetes is a disease of 
too little energy, not too much, mm -hmm. right? Because most people that have diabetes are overweight, so they say, oh, it's a disease of excess. Yeah. It's actually a disease of not enough, because you're using this energy pathway that only produces two ATP, yep. where you could be using the one. Yeah, and you basically run out of energy just like that, hence you have to refuel all the time. Right. So people's cortisol and insulin does this all day because their right. blood sugar keeps going up and down. Right. And then it turns your brain too much. Yes, uh, type three diabetes. Type three, yeah, see. Alzheimer's, yeah. But the blue light is, um, that's all it's doing is raising your, your blood glucose. And your people are sitting, this is why a ketogenic diet works for most people. Yeah. Because most people are sitting indoors all the time, never get any UV light. They're sitting under blue light that raises blood glucose they're feeding themselves hot, high uh, sugar stuff that raises blood glucose. So when you take away that one element of feeding yourself the blood sugar, sugar and replace it with, with fat, now you're forcing your body to make the glucose that it's asking for when you see the blue light. Yeah. And your body's not going to overproduce. So it's going to take whatever protein you have and turn it into glucose through gluconeogenesis. Yeah. But you're going to be have you're going to get way less uh, blood glucose than you would from your diet. And you know, you you almost lead into another point when I hear women complain about the ketosis diet. The ketosis oh, yeah. diet, and they're like, it throws off my hormones. I'm like, well, are you fixing your sleep while you're doing this? Well, I'm fasting. I'm like, yeah, but like. How are you fixing your other hormones if it's a hormone issue, right? Insulin, cortisol, is it melatonin? What is it? It's not just estrogen, progesterone we're dealing with when it comes to metabolism. Leptin's a huge one too. Right, and so I'm thinking like, what are you eating to control your ghrelin and your leptin and to reset everything, right? And, they're, and they still wonder, I can't lose this. I've gone keto and, for and I will say that fasting is a form of stress. Oh yeah, yeah, though. totally, so, definitely. So yeah. like it spikes the cortisol, so like, a lot of women have issues with cortisol because they do have those other hormones that men don't have to deal with. Like the, I mean, the whole <coughs> insulin, like PCOS is an insulin <coughs> issue. Like people treat it as totally. a female hormone issue and that's how intertwined I think. You must have saw Benjamin Bigman's post today. I did not actually. <laughs> he actually talks about that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a good example, I think, of modern medicine treats PCOS as a estrogen and progesterone issue but that just shows you how close-knit the female hormones are to insulin and cortisol. Yep. So I think the reason women respond differently to keto is because they deal with those extra hormones. And um, you know when cortisol and insulin are kind of messed up and women try to control their insulin by fasting, it just jacks up their cortisol even more, which well, jacks up their insulin yeah. more. And so and it's, a, it's just yeah, another mix yeah. of and a lot of hormones. Women, a lot of women are on the birth control pill, which which is further complicates the whole over. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've heard women who've been on birth control for two years and still have not a period. Well, and the problem is when you like take get off of the birth control, not when you're on it. No, no, as I'm saying, they got off of it, and then two years later, they're still like, I'm not having a period. My so so. Uh, my it's called post birth control syndrome. Yeah, my, that's a thing now. Yeah. My, my wife, uh, of wanted to get off yeah. birth control, so I I did what. A good husband's supposed to do. Yep. And uh, <laughs> but when she got off, yeah, she her period took. Uh, it wasn't two years, but it took a long time to right. come back. Yeah. And she still probably is like, I still don't feel right. And that's the thing. Allison is right. Women have to deal with so many other hormones involved. With guys, a lot of times, it's like here's testosterone. This is what you you what you're missing, right? But it's still connected because that testosterone can convert to estrogen, right? And then at the same time, you get testosterone from your adrenal glands. 
Testosterone, it, it's all, it all goes back to sunlight, right? So the morning sunlight that sets your, the melatonin, cortisol, and leptin, yep. right? And then the leptin fixes the ghrelin. Tell, tell people what leptin is and ghrelin. So uh, ghrelin makes you hungry. Grr, yep. And leptin makes you full. Yep. And essentially, this is the short version. That's the short version. But the, the long version is every time cortisol is elevated, insulin's elevated, which means leptin's elevated, which means you're stressed out and you have insulin resistance, so you're eating poorly and you have a poor lifestyle, most likely. And then you have a signal like leptin is telling your body you're full. But yet you still gorge on binge eating and staying up watching Netflix, eating a junk food because you think your body needs it. Right, and then you become leptin leptin resistant. You become leptin resistant as well, and then your ghrelin goes down. So your body's saying, we're full, but you keep eating all this crap. Mm. And what are we supposed to do with it? You're not burning it off. So this is a good point for people. This is why I I counsel a lot of people that eat protein in the morning. Okay. Uh, If if they're one of these people that has that little fat tire around their waist and they can't figure out how to do it, a lot of times I'll talk to these people and they're like, what do you have for breakfast? Oh, I I eat a really good breakfast. I eat uh, a banana and some oatmeal and... Uh, Sugar. Sugar. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And... um, Corn tortilla taco? Uh, Maybe. (laughs) But, you know, they're eating these traditional... Oh, but it's organic. uh, (laughs) Whole wheat, uh, steel oat. Yeah. Steel cut oat uh, oatmeal. Um, I tell them, just switch and just eat protein. Right? So just eat eggs and bacon and don't eat anything else. Just eggs and bacon and go outside and, and get some sunshine. Yeah, barefoot. It, preferably uh, barefoot. Sometimes, I try to take people slow, right? Sometimes, <laughs> you gotta see where people at. Some some people are willing to go, they'll f- take the full meal deal right off the bat, but well, I, But they still gotta put their shoes on? I was gonna say, they're still putting some boxers on, some shorts, because they might be like, well, this is how I sleep at night, and you told me to come outside and eat like a bowl of eggs and bacon naked. It's so funny, <laughs> because like, like well, we live together too, and it's like, there's what, four, got four, Four males in there, yeah, and yeah. there'll be like two diapers worth of clothes between four. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, it, that's it. Everyone's in underwear, and my wife Barrett's looking at us like I'm surrounded by a bunch of dudes, and I'm like, yeah, but like think about it. like we're all going outside barefoot, you know, like we're yep. touching the grass, we're touching the ground, we're touching the, the trees, and it's like they're getting their vitamin D. Like I mean, what's what's better than that, right? I mean, Baller's wearing long sleeve shirts right now, and so it's like, well. You're restricting some vitamin D, but he's going to go out later and do probably, you know, topless yoga. All right, you want to hear something really funny? Yeah. All right, this is, I shouldn't admit to this, but it's pretty funny. So, um, I'm, I'm a guy, right? And I, I, like most guys, I, like, do very little laundry, right? <laughs> and I got the same morning routine, and it is to go outside. Um, and first, before I do my morning yoga, I run, right? Okay. So, I do an aerobic run, keep my heart rate below 180 minus my age to stay aerobic and nose breathe the whole time. Stay simple. That's, that's tough to do. That's impressive. Um, it was at first, and I also think that was a factor in helping my allergies. Yeah, probably. Um, oh, yeah. But anyway, I do that, and then I come home and do the yoga in the backyard. And because I don't like to do laundry, um, I like to wear the same shorts all week and, <laughs> and wash them on the weekends. Right? Of course. I should have been more of a boy. And, <laughs> Alice is like, I do that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I noticed that uh, one, one day last summer, I noticed, I said, man, oh, man, these shorts are starting to stink. So instead of putting them in the wash, I thought, hmm, that's like bacteria. What kills bacteria? UV light. So I put them on the back porch and let them get sunlight. 
and they didn't stink the next day. <laughs> I usually just go to Barton Springs and like, ah, they're washed. Yeah. That's funny because your Wi-Fi like, what the hell, dude? And you're like, it's an experiment. Yeah. I'm trying something right now, and it's working. <laughs> it's just like the, the, the smell test, right? Yeah. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. uh, I, I, I swear, the, the cool thing is every time I talk to you, I probably learn something new. Yeah. Awesome. And, and it's funny because I don't ever think it's that too far out there because it makes sense. So I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I mean, why not, right? It's the sun, like sun salutations and yoga. Yeah. Sun A, sun B are basic poses where every day you're getting up and you're facing the sun. I go on the pedestrian bridge and you'll catch me at like six o'clock at night and I'm doing chest openers, saluting the sun and they're probably like, this freaking hippie up here. Yep. And I just saluting the sun. I'm like, oh. I didn't get to today. Oh, I, so, so I don't think I've told you my backyard actually opens up to um, the neighborhood park. Yeah. And there's a trail going through there. And so I'm out there at, you know, like 7.30 in the morning. And there's all kinds of people like walking to school, kids walking to school, <laughs> parents walking their kids to school, people jogging, people walking their dog. And I'm out there doing yoga. <laughs> and all I look at, there's dude again. <laughs> well, some, my neighbors know me, but some of them out there like, there's that weird guy again. Yeah. There's, that, put, there's that weird dude again. That weird Lower dude again, but at least he's wearing shorts this time. <laughs> well, I always wear shorts. You got to, because there's kids about so. But, uh, but well, speaking of that, um, you know that in sun, sunshine on your on for men getting sunshine on your genitalia increases testosterone like of course it does something like two hundred percent. That sounds a lot like a researcher who wanted to justify sunbathing. Don't sunbathing. tell Balder that because I swear I'm going to catch him in the backyard yeah, doing that. It's just the thing now. It's already it's done. <laughs> this is what I do now. This is what I do now. <laughs> on that note, uh, um, dude, you you've been awesome. Thank you so much. Um, just on a side note for people, who he, we do keep mentioning he was an economist, he, a computer programmer. What are you now? I am a, um, a health coach. I'm pursuing my um, primal health coach certification. Yep. And I'm uh, coaching endurance athletes and uh, nutrition uh, uh, people at um, fatadaptedcoach.com. Yep, and he has laboratory testing resources as yep. well. Yep. He's very knowledgeable. We've gone over many labs together. He knows exactly what he's talking about. Um, you can find him online. Uh, if you come to Austin, I'm pretty sure he'll even go work out with you. Oh, yeah, for sure. It. Yeah, so, but uh, thanks for coming on, man. We'll probably have to do a part two and three and a four and Love all that stuff, right? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, cool. Good all right, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>